three, two, one, zero, zero, and liftoff. This is Nuclear Knowledge. Production of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies. Welcome to another episode of Nuclear Knowledge, a weekly show of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies, where we are advancing peace, promoting stability, and helping you to think deterrence. I'm your host, Wally Clark, and the views expressed here are my own. This is the final podcast of the Bostard series that categorize nuclear weapons effects into blast, overpressure, shock thermal, electromagnetics, radiation, and dust. Today we'll explore dust and wrap up the series. Dust is a complex and complicated part of nuclear weapon effects. If you listen to Nuclear Knowledge Podcast 23 on residual radiation, you heard more than a hint about dust effects. But before I discuss the effects of dust, let's explore its creation. Springtime winds in the desert of western and northern China and Mongolia bring dry weather and sandstorms that can raise sand and dust to several miles in altitude that can then be transported by upper altitude airstreams for thousands of miles. The storms may last up to a week. Similar conditions exist in other deserts around the world. Recall that in 2010, one of Iceland's volcanoes erupted, spewing tons of ash into the air and forcing the closure of airspace across Europe and massive disruption of flights over several weeks. Italy's Mount Etna erupted yesterday, spewing ash across parts of Sicily's eastern coast and canceling flights. Erupting volcanoes eject plumes of ash, dirt, sulfur dioxide, carbon monoxide, and other gases into the air. This VOG, or volcanic smog, is formed when the gases react with the atmosphere. Speaking of smog, a byproduct of civilization centers is a combination of smoke and fog, or smog, composed of nitrogen oxides, sulfur oxide, ozone, coal smoke, vehicle and industrial emissions, forests and agricultural fires, and photochemical reactions. Tilling the land, reaping the crops, and other agricultural operations produce dust. Seasonal winds, tornadoes, and hurricanes generate dust. Any dust, no matter its source, if elevated to five miles altitude, may be transported by a jet stream. Jet streams travel at speeds up to 275 miles per hour, thus distributing dust around the world in as little as four days. In other words, the air we breathe contains dust from around the world. So even with a high-altitude nuclear detonation, there is dust in the atmosphere to be affected. The most obvious source of dust in a nuclear explosion is the weapon itself. The weapon, its case, control systems, etc., are pulverized in the detonation. In a near-surface detonation, great quantities of dust and powdered debris will be lofted up the mushroom's cloud stem, high above the detonation and into the mushroom cap. Consequently, dust is present due to human activity, atmospheric conditions, seasons, jet streams, weapon yield, weapon altitude and material, and more. 
Just as there are many generators of dust, there are many effects of dust. Dust obscures visibility and negatively affects aircraft operation, including takeoffs and landings. Continuing the aircraft, dust can scour windscreens, thus blinding the pilots, interfere with pitot tube-based instrumentation, clog air filters, and people's lungs. Dust sucked into the engine will cause engine erosion and form glass splinter deposits on engine components, thereby degrading performance. In the event of a nuclear detonation, the dust is likely electrostatically charged, and so may adhere to aircraft services and interfere with aerodynamics, instrumentation, and communication. Dust in the vicinity of the explosion will be radioactive, adding both life-ending initial and residual radiation to the list of effects. So we have dust from near to ground to aircraft cruising altitudes that is scouring, abrasive, clogging, choking, electrostatically charged, and radioactive. These accumulated effects on a jet, either civilian or military, can lead to trouble or catastrophe. If a civilian jet, that could mean the loss of life for up to 500 people, both crew and passengers. In a military jet, it could also mean the loss of the crew, plus lead to mission failure with tactical to strategic consequences, allowing a possible adversary to inflict great harm on the United States. To review, dust is a part of every nuclear weapon effect because the atmosphere always contains some dust from microscopic to visible. It will be carried along and contribute its scouring, clogging, and abrasive effects to the blast overpressure, and shock waves. It is lofted by the detonation up the stem of the mushroom cloud and into a jet stream. It is heated and pressurized in the thermal fireball, possibly undergoing exotic chemical transformation. Due to exposure to ionized air molecules, it is electrostatically charged. Interactions with and adherence to bomb debris renders the dust radioactive. Indeed, dust is a part of all Bostert effects. Stepping away from dust for a moment, let's review the Bostard series of nuclear weapons effects. A nuclear detonation immediately produces lethal gamma and neutron radiation, but it is not the worst local effect unless the weapon is a specialized neutron bomb. The X-rays heat the atmosphere and generate a thermal fireball of tens of millions of degrees, temperatures, and millions of atmosphere pressures that radiates an enormous amount of heat igniting fires, causing flash blindness, and flash burns miles from ground zero. The incredibly high pressures create a blast and shockwave that initially expands at thousands of miles per hour, slowing as it spreads, causing most of the physical destruction. Accompanying the blast wave is overpressure, which can destroy most residential buildings, damage and destroy most factories and commercial buildings, even reinforced concrete structures. The generated debris of dust, glass, concrete, wood, etc. will be hurtled through the air at hundreds of miles per hour to generate more dust and debris and injure people caught outside. Blast and overpressure effects last only about a minute. Then the heat from the fireball and the debris created by the blast wave will result in numerous small fires that may combine into firestorms that will generate their own wind, 
drawing in fresh air rushing inward along the surface of the earth at hundreds of miles per hour to spread the firestorm beyond the initial blast zone. The winds and fire add to the damage, the fire consuming enough oxygen to suffocate remaining survivors, all the while creating more dust. Conventional weapons can produce blast, overpressure, shock, thermal, electromagnetic, and dust effects. Nuclear weapons produce these effects in vastly greater magnitudes. Nuclear weapons also produce radiation. Within a minute of detonation, the short-lived initial alpha, beta, gamma, and neutron particles plus x-rays are produced. The alphas and betas quickly interact with and are nullified by collisions with atmospheric molecules and bomb debris. The x-rays create the fireball. Some gammas produce electromagnetic effects, including electromagnetic pulse. Others penetrate material, including living flesh. Exposure to high doses over a short period can cause radiation sickness and death. Neutrons inject themselves into matter, creating collision cascades that produce defects and dislocations in the material, events that are deleterious to materials and life. Residual radiation produced by small fission weapons like those used at Hiroshima and Nagasaki produce locally significant fallout. The designs of some thermonuclear weapons produce global fallout from the dust cloud lofting material into the atmosphere, where it may take months or even years to reach the ground as it travels around the world multiple times in jet streams. The gamma radiation from a very high altitude detonation won't generate local fallout effects, but in the surrounding air, it will strip atoms of their electrons, which then produce an electromagnetic pulse. A single large weapon exploded 200 miles over the central United States could blanket the contiguous 48 states with an EMP intense enough to damage computers, communication systems, the power grid, and other electronic and electric devices. It could also affect satellites, both military and civilian. EMP has profound implications for our military, which depends on sophisticated electronics and the civilian infrastructure. Using EMP in a first strike would wreak havoc with civilian infrastructure and with military command, control, and communication. Since 1945, nuclear bombs have been the ultimate weapon. Using one is not a decision to be taken lightly. Having discussed these effects, I'll hope you agree that one should never easily be used. It is up to the possessor of a nuclear weapon to understand the short and long-term effects and implications of use. As several countries have nuclear weapons and others are working to develop them, it is necessary for the United States to maintain and modernize its nuclear arsenal to deter possible aggression. Nuclear is a last resort weapon. It is a deterrent to warn adversaries there will be retaliation. Whereas wars are fought between two or more opponents, unfortunately, it only takes one to start a war. Thank you for listening to today's Nuclear Knowledge Show. I hope you learned something new and valuable about deterrence. Nuclear Knowledge is a production of NIDS, a 501c3 organization dependent upon donations to provide this podcast. 
Every donation helps keep this and many other deterrence-related activities happening and helps to bring about awareness of the peacekeeping value of U.S. strength and our national deterrence. This podcast is produced weekly, and each episode is released on Monday. If you enjoy this show, check out our other podcast, The Nuclear View. You can catch it in all our podcasts at thinkdeterrence.com. I thank our producer, Kimberly Charrington, our sponsors, and all the fantastic members of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies for making this podcast possible. Stay tuned next week for another exciting and informative nuclear knowledge. A production of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies.